This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Mr. and Mrs. North was a radio mystery series that aired on NBC and CBS from 1942 to 1954. Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin had the title roles when the series began. The characters, publisher Jerry North and his wife Pam, lived in Greenwich Village at 24 St. Anne's Flat. They were not professional detectives, but simply an ordinary couple who stumbled across a murder every two weeks for 12 years. That always breaks me up. The radio program eventually reached nearly 20 million listeners. In 1946, Mr. and Mrs. North received the Best Radio Drama Edgar Award from the Mystery Writers of America. Actually, it was a tie with CBS's The Adventures of Ellery Queen. The characters originated in the 1930s, vignettes written by Richard Lockridge for The New York Sun, and he brought them forth in short stories in The New Yorker. These stories were collected in, in Mr. and Mrs. North, 1936. Luttridge increased the readership after he teamed up with his wife, Frances, on the novel The North's Meat Murder. Tonight, we present The Russian Restaurant Murder. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. This time, a restaurant on the skids, a quick-change artist in an alley, and a girl with an eye for angles all met destruction. Because a hundred thousand easy bucks caught him in a stranglehold which none of them wanted to break. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story... The Stranglehold. Sometimes men climb all over themselves for a purpose, sometimes for relaxation, and most times for no reason at all. Take professional wrestling. I watched in the ringside while two gargantuan hulks contorted their features in mock agony and bulged muscles at each other on a mat surrounded by tears of onlookers screaming through their half-chewed popcorn. While the fans, as usual, howled for blood, booed the decision, hooted the departing contestants and waited for the next comic act, laughingly called the main event. I went again over the letter I'd received two hours ago by messenger from one Manny Faber. It included a ringside ticket to L.A. Wrestling Arena, a check for $200, and the request that I catch as much as I could stomach of the match between John, better known as Peachy King, and Jules Caesar, the Emperor of Brooklyn. 
after which I was to come to Faber's house for instructions that involved John Keene plus a hundred thousand bucks of Manny Faber's money. So I watched a little closer as something that looked like a Sherman tank in a toga and leather sandals crowned with an olive wreath lumbered into the ring and sneered at the crowd. And since I'd long ago given up wrestling as a sport, I turned to the fan next to me wearing a derby on the bridge of his nose, waved a cloud of cigar smoke aside, and got some information. Oh, Caesar? Ah, you get your money's worth out of him, all right. Hey, what about this John Keene? How does he stack up? Ha-ha, <laughs> Peachy! You kidding? He's a bomb. Stinko! No show! Off-off! A blink out! Look, look, I'm fixing the ring up for him now. Get this! Ha-ha-ha-ha! <laughs> What's that, flowers? Yeah, yeah, peach blossoms! ha <laughs> ha they threw peach blossoms all over his corner. Eh, <laughs> hey, what stuff? Two years ago, the stuff was okay, but now it's tired, you know what I mean? Hey, he won't even put on a show, let alone wrestling. He's still called a champ, isn't he? Champ! Him! <laughs> he won't even give you a laugh anymore. He's afraid of getting his pretty nose bent. What a bum. Hey, see, he's time up a nut. Here he comes, fucker. You whole pinky! <laughs> you bum! Profile, he ought to be a ribbon cloak instead of a wrestler. Yeah. Hey, what's that on the back of his robe? Are you kidding? That's a big peach, of course. Embroidered in gold on black silk. How do you like... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hey, look, I hear them robes cost him a thousand bucks a piece. He thinks they make them hot stuff with the dame. Maybe they do. Who's a brunette in there talking with him? How should I know? There's always something like that. Around. Look, pipe down. Will you make it talk so much? Oh, lady and gentlemen, the peace of revenge. Peachy started out of his corner. A good-looking brunette shouted something at him that stopped him cold. He turned to glare at her, and Caesar slapped a hank on him that put Peachy flat on his back for fall number one. Three minutes later, with his head in a gilligan, Peachy was well on his way to the mat again for fall number two, which was enough for me, so I got up to leave. The brunette, I noticed, was leaving, too. And at the end of the exit tunnel, we came out side by side. You got a match? Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. Thank you. It's a mess, isn't it, huh? What's a mess? <laughs> the way things are going inside there. Peachy ought to change his line of work, don't you think? Oh, what's it to you? A laugh so far. What's it to you? You said something to him that knocked him for a loop, baby. What was it? A personal matter. Oh, how personal? Oh, about like that. <clears throat> Thank you, and step down, Philip Marlowe. And you'd better step out, too, or I'll whistle for a John Dom. <laughs> Nighty-night, nosey. So saying, she flashed a couple of daggers at me from her snapping black eyes, spun on four-and-a-half-inch red patent leather heel, and was gone. So I drove up to Hollywoodland in the house of 2000 Beachwood Drive, where I was to meet my client, Manny Faber. The house looked like a two-room cottage from the street, but it ran for three stories down the backside of the hill. And all I did was touch the bell when the door flew open. Hey, you're Marlowe, huh? am I right? Come on in, Marlowe. I'm Manny Faber, head of Faber Transcriptions Incorporated. Produce radio shows, you know. Yeah. So you saw him, eh? You saw that big, crooked, four-flushing, stupid, mat-pounding mastodon that calls himself Johnny Peach Keen, huh? Yeah, I saw him. Yeah. Oh, have a chair. Oh, thanks. Well, what do you think? You just summed it up. What's that got to do with your 100,000 bucks, Mr. Faber? You haven't seen the late editions? No. They're full of it. Peachy Keen is suing me for 100 Gs for slander. 
How can you slander a guy like Peachy? It's impossible. I know that, and you know it. But does a court of law know it? No. In fact, they're going to make it stick. Well, how'd it happen? I'll tell you. A very sweet guy named Frank Gaynor. Yeah, I know. I'm a sports commentator. Yes, yes. He's been doing five a week on my label and going big. But three days ago, what we've been expecting for months finally happened. Rest his soul. A weak ticker. And just like that, he dropped dead on the street. Heart failure. Yeah, I read about it. Well, Frank always kept five broadcasts ahead, see? Made tape recordings in his own little studio. So I've been running his last five shows as a final tribute to him. Well, what happened? Uh, yesterday, the whole 15 minutes of his broadcast was devoted to ripping apart John Peachy Keen. Here, listen. Uh, I've got the tape here on the machine. Mm. This is one part. Applied on the sports world. And furthermore, I have proof that Get John Peachy Keen has sold out to the highest bidder in small-time gambling circles in his last three matches. Now, I know for a fact that he has become so blatant in his underhanded dealings that even as dubious a business as professional wrestling cannot stand the street. And officials have threatened to bar him from the ring. I can know beyond a doubt that John Peachy Keene has falsified medical reports to evade tough competition, and that he eventually... Yeah, it goes on like that, Marlowe. Some of it opinion, most of it fact. And it's the facts that my lawyers tell me I've got to find the proof for or be a dead duck. That's why I asked you to come up here. I... Oh, excuse me. This sure. is probably Ruth, Frank's wife. Nice show people once. Oh, hello, Ruth. Come in, honey. Hello, Manny. I haven't been able to find a thing yet. I can't imagine where Frank got his information. I... Oh, Ruth, uh, shake hands with Mr. Marlowe. He's the detective I told you about. Uh, Mrs. Gaynor, Marlowe. How do you do, Mr. Glad Marlo? know you, Mrs. Gaynor. Manny, here's the key to Frank's private studio at 6122 Sunset. It might be a good place for Mr. Marlowe to start. Yes, all his files and equipment are there. Frank didn't like to work at home or at my plant on the strip. Wanted his own private setup. Uh, we looked there, but maybe we missed something. Okay, I'll see what I can find. Oh, by the way, do either of you happen to know a good-looking brunette connected in some way with Peachy? No, but he's quite a ladies' man, I understand. Why, Marlowe? That's just a hunch. I saw him talking to one at night, a fireball. May mean nothing. Well, I hope you'll be able to locate the proof of Frank's statements, Marlowe. We've got to find it for Frank. Uh, <clears throat> uh, also, it'll break my heart to pay a hundred grand to a no-good meat heaver named Peachy Keen. I promised paper I'd keep in touch and left. I found Gaynor's little recording studio tucked into the second-floor corner of a small office building on Sunset. Unlocked the heavy soundproof door and went in. The room had a busy, cluttered look, as though Gaynor himself had just stepped out. A row of filing cabinets and a desk sat along one wall, and opposite them was the glassed-in booth with the tape recorders and microphone by which the solitary sportscaster had canned his radio programs. I dug through the files and found a folder labeled John Keene that held only a sketchy history of the wrestler, some publicity pictures and a few clippings, one of which rated a long second look because it was topped by a picture of the same brunette I'd seen at the ringside was Captain Carla Bennett reads for West Coast. I started to read the story when there was a sound at the door behind me and the lights went out. Don't move, Mighty. I'll kill you on the spot if you do. Up against that window, you make a perfect target, you know. But don't try anything, kid. What do you want? The more that I'm getting, it's what. I'm entitled to it, I am. The service is rendered, you might say. I can't help you, Busty. You've come to the wrong man. No, but not to the wrong place, huh, Mighty? So, first things first, like I always say. Now, Marty. It's night. Bartell, get me. Sleepy boy.
Oh. Marlo, where were you? Is something wrong? Oh, as wrong as a limey showing up here to put the... Oh, oh, put the slug on me. A limey? Yeah. What was it? Why'd he slug you? Good questions, Faber. Hey, does the name Carla Bennett ring any bells? Carla Bennett? Yeah. No, no, I never heard of her. I... Huh? Oh, just a minute, Marlo. Here's Ruth. Huh? Yeah? I'm sure Frank interviewed her once. Carla Bennett used to be Mrs. John Keene. Peachy's ex-wife? Yes, I'm positive. Why, is she mixed up in this? I don't know. But Limey slugged me apparently took a newspaper clipping about her when he left. At least it's gone. Marlowe, this Limey, was that all he was after? Well, he said he wanted more than he was getting. Hey, but look, paper made this call. What do you want? To tell you that he'll be out checking on a few things himself. That's all. Oh, by the way, Ruth, any idea where this Bennett Dane might be found? No, I haven't, Marlowe. Oh. I think she was staying at some woman's hotel on Vermont Avenue when Frank interviewed her at that time. Vermont. But that was over a year ago. Maybe she's a lady of habit. I'll try it anyway. Thanks, Ruthie. There were three exclusively female hotels on Vermont. The second one I called had a call of Bennett registered. So I went out to my car and babied my aching head down Vermont to the Victoria Plaza Ladies Only Hotel. The lobby was done in ivory and pink with desk clerk to match. And the nameplate tagged as Mr. Seymour Pratt. I started over but stopped when I spotted about an acre of peach-colored suede coat wrapped around John Peachy Keene himself, lumbering up the stairs at the back of the lobby. Mr. Pratt saw him at the same time and darted from behind the desk like an angry canary after a rhinoceros. Just a minute, you. This is a ladies' hotel. So what? I gotta see the one in 212. Not this way, you don't. Why, it's after midnight. If Miss Bennett wishes to come down to the lobby, that's her affair. But no men are allowed upstairs after 10 p.m. Okay, okay. How can I get in touch with her? Use the house phone, naturally. Over there in that booth. I'll go right back to the board and plug you in. I'll be with you in just a moment, sir. Ducky, I'll wait. A call for you, Miss Bennett. Good listening, huh? Now, see, here, you know perfectly well you're not supposed to come back to this desk. This is for employees only. What about eavesdropping? Is that for employees only, too? Oh, uh, why, how dare you Save it, Seymour. The guy in the booth there is a professional wrestler. If he finds out you're listening in, he'll tear your arm off and beat you to death with it. Uh, let me take over here. Give me the earphone. Now, wait Come a minute. on, give it to me. Okay. Now, sit there like a good boy. Keep the key open and your trap shut. No surprise. Where are you now, John? In the lobby, in a phone booth. You better come down, Carla. No, no John, I'm tired. Will you call me tomorrow? No, wait a minute. Ta- what do you mean by that crack you made tonight when I was in the ring? Just what I said. I want a nice big slice of that hundred thousand you're getting from Manny Faber. Why, uh, you're crazy. What makes you think I'd give you one lousy penny? Yeah, you will, gladly. You see, John, I know all about those visits you made to the Lyceum Theater. One of us come back to L.A., hasn't it, darling? Why, you sneaking... Oh, shut up. After the life you led me for four years, you big ape, I'm entitled to all I can get. And that'll be plenty. Well, I advise you to run right back now and tell your friend that I know all about your little scheme. And talk it over good, John. I'll be waiting to hear from you. All right. I'll do just that. And you're sure going to be sorry you stuck your nose into this one, Carla. Real interesting. Are you quite, quite finished now? Yes, and you were a big, big help, Mr. Pratt. Oh, there he goes. Peachy sweet coat and all. So long, Seymour. <laughs> With our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Stranglehold.
Peachy Keen slammed out of the phone booth, he was burned to a crisp. He stomped out of the woman's hotel via the back door that opened onto the parking lot. And when I got there, it was already out of sight. I stopped in the shadows to figure out which way he'd gone, but skipped that as the back door opened again. This time, it was Carla Bennett. She ran across the lot, hopped into a new green convertible, and got as far as switching on the lights before still another character pranced into the headlight beams like a veteran ham making for upstage center. Miss Bennett! Hey, Miss Bennett, wait! I gotta talk to you! I couldn't tell where the first one came from. I only heard it. It brought the little man up on his toes and arched him like a drawn bow. I saw the flash of the second one. It came from the alley and crumpled it into a pile. A moment later, a mall roared, and I ran to where I could see, with a pair of taillights twisting onto the side street. It was all the good it did me. I went back to the body of the little man as Carla Bennett climbed out of her car. She was white from shock, and in the headlights, her makeup was garish. It belonged on a clown. The back alley harlequinade was suddenly very grim. He was shot in his direct in front of me. Who's the little guy, Carla? I, I don't know. I never saw him before. You know my name? Yeah. We met at the wrestling arena early at night. You remember? Marlowe, private detective. Now, come on, Carla. Let's have it. What's his name? I don't know, I tell you. Okay. We better find out fast. Let's take a look at his wallet. No! It's none of my business. I'm getting out of here. Wait a minute. He wanted to talk to you pretty badly, baby. Very likely about a hundred grand. Huh? If I were you, I'd stick around. You've got awfully big ears, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah. Better to hear phone conversations. What? This guy's an actor. He's got an equity card. Name is Seth Cameo. Mean anything? Not to me. Unless... Unless what? Unless he happens to work at the Lyceum Theater? As you said, Carla, Vaudeville's back in town, and that brings up another point you better explain. what's going on out here anyway? I thought I heard shots. You did, Pratt. I came from the alley there. Oh, so it's you again. I might have... That man. That man there on the ground. Good heavens. Is... Is he dead? Yeah, he's murdered. Oh, no. That jerk. I'm getting out of here. Not alone, you're not. I'm going with you. Listen, Big Ears, I can take care of myself. Will you beat it? That's not the point, sister. I still want to talk to you. Get in. I go out that way to the street, not too fast. All right. Since you're running things, where are we going? Lyceum Theater. On the way, you can tell me why your ex-husband Peachy's been hanging around there. I don't know why. Who's the friend he's been seeing? Was it Cameo? I don't know that either. Now, look, for Pete's sake, do I have to draw you a picture? A man was shot down right in front of you. Doesn't that convince you? They're bucking the same opposition, baby, and believe me, this is no time to hold out. Not in this league. I'm not. All right. Well, that stuff you overheard on the phone was pure bluff. I accidentally ran into John a couple of days ago near the stage door of the Lyceum. He, well, he acted funny like he was waiting for somebody and very nervous about it. You didn't see who it was? No. I waited until three girls and two men had come out one after another, but they were cagey. I couldn't tell which one John was waiting for. And then I heard about this slander suit of his, and I figured something was screwy. He took a swing in the dark tonight and connected, huh? Good and solid. When I told him on the phone to go back to his friend, I knew he'd be just stupid enough to do it, and that's why I came out so fast. I wanted to follow him and find out who else was involved before I got in too far. You're already in too far, baby. You got more nerve than good sense, even for a hundred grand. You don't believe me? Ask Cameo. There's the theater. Park here. We'll walk over. Look, tell me something, Big Ears. Suppose Seth Cameo did work here. What's it going to prove? All depends on what we find to go with it. He was killed to keep him from upsetting the apple cart. One way he could have done that would be to have proof of what Frank Gaynor said in his broadcast about Peachy. Sure, but fitting a vaudeville actor at the Lyceum into that slot doesn't make sense. No, but... Yeah, there it is. Cameo's placket. We were right. Yeah. Seth Cameo, the one-man all-star cast. See Lionel Barrymore, Betty Davis, Harry Drucker... Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, and many others. Denise Lynn played in a split-second changes by the world's most versatile one-man cast. Seth Cameo. Sure, he was a mimic. A guy like that would have dialects, lots of them. 
So? So maybe Seth Cameo was the boy who slugged me in Gaynor's studio. He was careful to turn out the light first, then he threw that limey jive at me to toss me off the track. And what's more, he... Uh-oh, we got company. Where? The little geezer over there. What are you doing there? Theater's closed. Last show's been over for hours. I know, you're the night watchman. That's right. Now you better move along, kids. No loitering around theater. Now, just a minute, Pop. This Seth Cameo, does he have a limey number in his act? Why don't you come back tomorrow and ask him? Well, that's tougher than you think, mister. How about it? Does he do a limey? Limey? Well, no, she... Cockney, English. No, don't think so. Might have at one time, though. Been in the business for years. Good man, too. Best quick changer i ever seen. Mm. Has he got a scrapbook or something in his dressing room, do you know? Yes, he has. Got a box there with every bill he's ever played on in it. Most actors do. But the theater's all closed now, fella. Well, you've got a key, haven't you? Look, Pop, it's important. We've got to find out right away. No, oh, I'm sorry, son. I can't do it. Look, I... it's real important. Take a good look. Very important. Ten bucks. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess it wouldn't do any harm if you just want to look. <laughs> The old man slid the ten into his pocket like he wouldn't admit it even to himself. And led us in the stage door, down the stairs, and with his flashlight along the dark hallway to Seth Cameo's dressing room. He unlocked it, reached in, and turned on a tired little lamp. And pointed out a box on a trunk near the back. We picked our way over to it through a jumble of costumes that had been period pieces at the turn of the century. The box was lined with sentimental posters. And inside was a man's life. And stacks of programs and playbills... It began with a crisp current appearance and then ran back through all of Seth Cameo's dusty yesterdays. Didn't take long. Maybe five minutes. Here. This is it, Marlowe. Exactly what you're after. Let's see that. Parthenon Theater, Kansas City, September 1940. Seth Cameo of London in Piccadilly Circus, Majesty Navy Limehouse. Sure. This is it, baby. Seth Cameo and Limey were one and the same. And where does that get you? Well, it gives me an idea. It gives me one, too. Now, you found what you wanted. Now, let's put everything back like it was and get out of here. In a minute, Pop. I want to check something else. Now, look, Sonny. This is dead against all rules. I'm getting jittery. Wait a minute. Two... Hold it. I heard something upstairs. Did you like the outside door, Pop? Oh, come now, fella. Be a sport. That's an old stunt that oh. just won't work. That door's got a snap latch. Shut up. I heard it, too, that time. There is somebody up there. Huh? Yeah, you're right. Dad, blame it. I was afraid of something like this. Now... Now, now, look, you two. You stay right here and don't touch nothing till I get back. In here, I'll go see what it was. Better switch off the lights, Carla. The brakes are going against us. What do you mean? Well, that all this after-hours theater business can't be coincidence. Boy, they came in upstairs. There's trouble on his mind. Oh. You asked for a payoff, baby, and that's what you're going to get. Only the bank won't handle it. The morgue will. Hey, there. You. What you doing here? You the night watchman around here? Oh, Marlo, it's John. Yeah, Why pretty you keen. Want? No pun intended. There's a girl that's in here. I want to see her. Oh, no. Take it easy. Here. Now, you go on. Get out. Thousand Beechwood. It's the one place Peachy won't go. Many favors. And stay there till I call, you understand? Well, but, but... Never mind. Beat it, will you? Go on. Be careful, big ears. When Carla moved off into the darkness, I saw at the other end of the hall the inquisitive beam from the flashlight poking into dark corners as Keen eased down the stairs. I got my gun into my hand, plastered my shoulders against the wall beside the open door, and waited. I didn't have long to wait. I heard him stop in the hall outside and then. The beam of the flashlight crept over the floor and up to the wall, and slowly, carefully circled the door frame. Carla? I heard him moving closer, and the barrel of a snub-nosed revolver inched into the room. 
I know you're in here, Carla. I waited until I could see the big fist wrapped around the gun. And I brought my thirty-eight down. Hot! His gun flew to the floor and I swung again for his head. Why you? The rest will only blink and lunge for me. That's your problem, big man. Fall down, will you? Go down and stay down. Oh, you gotta chop that guy down like a tree. It had been short but vicious. And the one punch he'd landed had shaken me to my shoelaces. The wreckage of costumes, props, and a lifetime of old theater programs was scattered over the room like big moldy snowflakes in a crazy ankle-high glare from the still-burning flashlight. As I sagged down onto a trunk to catch my breath, I saw something that brought me right back to my feet again. An illustrated program from the King's Theater in Buffalo that gave me a new slant on the whole mess. It billed Seth Cameo as the man with a thousand voices, the perfect mimic. And the act that had followed him for a 30-week run was a girl whose face I knew well. I ran out of the theater into the nearest cab stand where I sent one driver to get the police over to the theater. And with another, I headed for Manny Faber's place on Beachwood. And what I was positive would be another murder. When I got to the front door, I knew there was no need to hurry. It was all over. Come on in, Marla. I've got news for you. It was Carla with a gun in her hand. On the floor in the corner, her face tight with pain, was Mrs. Ruth Gaynor glaring hate up at me like a wounded panther. There she is, Marla. I recognized her as soon as I saw her. She's the one Peachy was waiting for outside the Lyceum Theater. They've been working together all this time to frame that slander suit against Faber. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I didn't expect to find you like this. What happened? She knew I recognized her and pulled this gun on me. One she used on Seth Cameo, no doubt, huh? Uh Uh-huh. She was going to use it on me, too. But I was way ahead of her. She's only in love with John Peachy Keene, but I was married to him for four years, and you don't live with a professional wrestler that long without picking up a few tricks. They call you the weaker sex. <laughs> what is it, Ruthie? Your elbow? Is it broken? Let me alone, you two-bit flatfoot. I'll call a doctor and get you fixed up. For one reason only, I don't even like to see a black widow spider suffer. <laughs> Miss Bennett? No, thank you, Mr. Faber. Well, I don't blame you. I've got no appetite either. You know, Marlowe, I always liked Ruth. And I thought she liked me. As long as you represented a buck, she did. And I've got to admit that she and the wrestler were clever, though. That stunt almost worked. She was clever. John Keene is 225 pounds of solid jerk. Yeah, it was all her idea. She was in love with Peachy, and when Frank died, she saw a great opportunity. Especially with that mimic being in town. Sure, Seth Cameo is an old friend of hers. She and Peachy wrote a highly slanderous script. She got Cameo to record it on Frank's machine, imitating Frank's delivery. Yes, and I broadcast it and stabbed myself in the back. Exactly. And we'd never found out any of this if a couple of other characters hadn't tried to cut in. First, Cameo, who felt he'd been cheated when he learned the job he'd done was worth a hundred grand. Ruth had to shoot him to keep him quiet. Second, little Carla here. Oh, Marlo, please. With me, it was just good, healthy spite. Spite, huh? What's stronger, baby, spite or dough? Well. See what I mean? Good night, Mr. Faber. Good night. Come on, Carla, let's go. We didn't go home directly. We went on our Beachwood Drive high into the Hollywood Hills. Park where we could look out over the sparkling, sprawling city. And then we talked. 
About color, the light, relative values, the city below us, and the dark hills above. And then, as we watched the first faint glimmer of dawn rise in the east, we both realized something. Not original, not very complex, and certainly not sophisticated, but very gratifying. In the final analysis, the best things in life, we both agreed, are still free. You know what I mean? Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Vivi Janis, Ted Bonelts, Charlotte Lawrence, Barney Phillips, Tony Barrett, Peter Leeds, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Oron. Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... I didn't know it, but I was caught in a smokeout that led from a search for a lady in black. Past murder at a highway inn, a gunfire in a crumbling warehouse. And all for a girl, already dead in the morgue. Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, who welcome special guest Orson Welles. Good health to all from Rexall. It's the Phil Harris Alice Bay Show, presented transcribed by the makers of Rexall drug products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggists. Good health to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Bay Show. Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Bay and Phil Harris. A few weeks ago, Alice bought a new car. She's been driving with a learner's permit, but today she's going down to take the test for her driver's license. She's a little nervous, so she's asked Phil and Frankie to drive down with her. Now be careful, Phil. You're going a little too fast. Alice. And put your hand out when you make a turn. Alice. Watch what you're doing. You went through a red light. Alice. You're driving. <laughs> I'm so nervous about taking my test, I forgot. I've never seen such lousy driving. <laughs> Alice, you mind if I get out of this death trap? <laughs> Don't be sarcastic. I happen to be a very good driver. I was the best one in the driving school, and the teacher said my driver. All right, was all right. You're a good driver. Now get off the sidewalk and back on the road. <laughs> Frankie, if you don't like what I'm doing, you can get out and walk. Why should I? You didn't get fresh with me. 
<laughs> if you were to try to kiss me, I'd be forced to defend my honor and leave. All right, Remley, all right. And stop already. Look, Alice, here's the Motor Vehicle Bureau. There's a parking space right there in back of that cop's motorcycle. That's it. Now slow down. That's fine. Now back in. Oh, I don't want to back in. It seems like such a sneaky way to do it. <laughs> I have enough room to go in forward. Honey, I don't think you can make Please, it if you... Please, Bill, I know what I'm doing. I can get into that space with my eyes closed. What's this? You can open your eyes, dear. You're in. Uh-oh. The cop's motorcycle was knocked over. Did I do that? No, dear. It's just a nervous motorcycle. <laughs> you see, when you raced your engine, the motorcycle got flustered, jumped up in the air, and fell over in a dead faint. Yeah, you know those high-strung Harley Davidsons. <laughs> hey, Alice, quick. You better back up before somebody sees us. Now hurry up. Okay. Back up. Alice, is the car in back of you? He found it. <laughs> well, dear, you're batting a thousand. You got one going forward, you got one going backward. You want to stop now, or would you care to try one sideways? <laughs> I think if you put a little English on it, you can hit that truck across the street. <laughs> It's your fault. You fellas get me all upset. Anyway, this time I didn't hit a cop's motorcycle. What did she hit, Frankie? I don't know. Must be a company car. There's a sign on it. What does it say? Los Angeles Police Department. <laughs> well, it's only a squad car. It's a squad car! <laughs> hey, Alice, quick. Slide over. Let me get at that wheel. Slide over. Oh, Hold it! Uh-oh, here comes Felix Flatfoot. A policeman? Yeah, Lester Lockstep in person. <laughs> Alice, you be quiet and let Frankie and me handle this. We'll get you off the hook. We'll kid him out of it. Yeah. Cops have a wonderful sense of humor. Well, nice driving, buddy. Oh, it was nothing. Glad you liked it. <laughs> I didn't like it. Who cares? I don't believe anybody asked for your opinion. <laughs> Wait a minute. You don't seem to realize who I am. I'm wearing a uniform. Well, bully for you. <laughs> now run along and deliver your telegrams and leave us alone. <laughs> These Western Union boys certainly are. Frankie. He's not a Western Union boy. Well, thank you. I'm glad somebody recognized me. Well, you'll have to forgive my friend. He's not familiar with the Cub Scout uniform. The <laughs> <laughs> wise guys, huh? I'm going to throw the book at you. Fellas, this one doesn't have a sense of humor. I think we got a straight man. Alice, please. I told you that we'll handle it. Well, if you're not a Cub Scout or a Western Union messenger, just what is your record? Who are you? Who am I? I'll break it to you easy. You see this badge? What does it say on it? L-A-P-D. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Lappet. Lappet? Yeah, that's short for Lapidus. Uh... My name ain't 
Lapidus, it's Cassidy. Cassidy? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you without your horse, Hoppy. <laughs> hey, Frankie, this is Hopalong Cassidy. I'm not impressed. I'm a Roy Rogers man. <laughs> if you two comics are through, you can come with me. Come on. Now, wait a minute, officer. Don't blame them. It's a natural mistake. You do look a lot like Hopalong Cassidy. I don't care if I... I... I do? Yes. Only you're even better looking. <laughs> in fact... In fact, you're one of the handsomest men I've ever seen. <laughs> well, it's nice you... You're very... <laughs> you doing anything tonight, Blondie? <laughs> now, wait a minute, officer. She happens to be my wife. Quiet, knothead. I'm writing you out a ticket. What's the charge? Reckless driver, and you knocked over my motorcycle. You got a driver's license? Yes, sir. What's your name? Bill Harris. Where do you live? Encino, where do you live? North Hollywood. What's your name? James Cassidy. Let me see your driver's license. Very well, I have. <laughs> I have a uniform. A likely story. But I tell you... Let what... me smell your breath. Honest, I have... Quiet, I'm writing you out a ticket. But please, sir, I didn't mean... It's writing out the ticket. Now, let me see your driver's license. All right, all right. Here you are. Thought I didn't have one, huh? Well, I'm a law-abiding citizen, and I know all the rules and regulations. And you'll find my driver's license in perfect order. Yeah, except for one little detail. What's that? It expired three months ago. Expired? Well, gee, officer, I didn't realize it. A likely story. You stay out of this. <laughs> Here's your ticket, Mr. Harris. You'll find quite a few charges on it. Now, you can't do this to me. I'm a celebrity. I'm Phil Harris, the radio star. Well, good for you. In that case, you can afford a bigger fine. <laughs> Be in court in the morning. In the meantime, have your license renewed and don't try to drive until you do. So long. But, officer, I didn't do any. Oh, Alice, why didn't you tell him that you were driving the car? Oh, but, Phil, if he gave me a ticket, it would spoil my chance of getting my driver's license. Oh, honey, it was sweet of you to take the blame for me. Yeah, you wouldn't have got your license. I guess you're right. Well, after all, it'll only take me a few minutes to renew my license. Let's go in the Motor Vehicle Bureau and get it over with. Hey, Frankie, will you park the car? Yeah, okay, sure. Come on, Alice. Hey, honey, as soon as they recognize me in there, I'll get my license renewed. Eee, like that. Huh. Suppose they don't recognize you. Well, I'll make sure they do. I'll walk in singing like this. One, two. Well, look at them shuffling, shuffling down, rambling, scrambling, the head of the town, hustling, bustling, buzzing around, happily awaiting at the station. Well, look at the train, the number 709, huffing and puffing and arriving on time. Who do you think's about to arrive? The band they call the Dixieland Five. They're going to play that muskrat ramble tune. The way you never ever heard it played Get ready for the big parade All together now One and two Come on and join the happy throng Feel the beat of that ramble And scramble and muskrat song Come on and ramble along
shuffle, shuffle, and shuffle and down. Look at the band parading all over town. Look at the happiness that's going around. Well, everybody's up and celebrating. Look at the drummer entertaining the gang. Clinking and clanging with the bing and the bang. Changing the town from dead to alive. The band they call the Dixieland Five. You're going to hear them play old Dixieland. You better get your reservation planned in person for a one-night stand. All together now, one and two. Come on to join the happy throng. Feel the beat of that shuffle and scuffle and buzzgrad song. Come on to ramble along. You better get your reservation planned in person for a one-night stand. All together now, one and two. Come on to join the happy throng. Feel the beat of that shuffle and scuffle and muskrat song. Come on and ramble along. Hiya, Cassidy. What's on your mind? Hey, George, I want you to do me a favor. Sure. Some wise guy named Phil Harris is coming in to renew his driver's license. He thinks he's a big shot. So when he comes in, I want you and the boys to give him the works. Oh, we know how to handle that type. Hey, Jack, when this Harris guy comes in, I want you and Eddie to get in line and back up him and make believe you're applying for a license, too. Okay, George. We'll take care of Harris. <laughs> Drive crazy, fellas. Here he comes. The one with the blonde hair. I've been a duck. All right, leave it us, Cassidy. Eddie, you and Jack go out and get in line and back up. Huh? Say, pardon me, bud, but uh, where do I renew my driver's license? Oh, right here. What's your name, sir? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, sir, am Phil Harris. Phil Harris? Oh, when I tell the boys, fellas, look who's here, Phil Harris! <laughs> See, Alice, it happens every time. <laughs> you people are kind of impressed that seen me, aren't you, bud? Oh, yeah. We haven't been so thrilled since Lassie came in for a dog line. <laughs> <laughs> now, what can I do for you? Well, I want to have my license renewed. Oh, very well. There'll be a few questions to answer. First, who are you sired by? <laughs> <laughs> well, why do I have to answer questions? All I want is a license. Here's my old one. Give me a new one. Oh, you optimist, you. It's not that simple. Before I can stamp your license, you'll have to take an eye test, a road sign test, a traffic law test, a driving test, a loyalty test, a blood test, and a screen test. <laughs> well, why do I have to go through all that? I've been driving for 20 years. We have to be very strict about who we issue licenses to. You mean that I have to go through all that, too? Oh, I didn't see you, miss. What did you want, Blondie? Well, well, I, I want a driver's license. You ever had a license before, dear? No. <laughs> no, I just learned to drive. 
And you want a license, honey? Yes, sir. <laughs> Here you are, darling. <laughs> Take this over to window four. Oh, thank you. See you later, Phil. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Why do I have to go through all those tests and she gets her license stamped right away? She's prettier than you are. <laughs> Only because she's wearing makeup. <laughs> Look, I'm sick and tired of the red tape. All I want to do is renew my license, and I don't need no written test or no eye test. Now, please, the tests are very important for the safety of the public. I got no time to argue. There are two men waiting in line in back of you. But look, mister, I now, want please, to come... step aside. Oh. Now, what can I do for you, sir? I, I want a driver's license. Very well, step right up to the window. What window? I don't, uh, I, I don't see very well. Where is it? Right over here. Oh, don't help me. I'll manage to find it. Ah, this must be the window. Get your nose out of my face. Oh, pardon me. I mistook the lines in your face for the bars in the window. Uh, uh, now, now, let me see now. Uh, where is that window? This way. Uh, uh, keep talking, keep talking. I'll come in on the sound of your voice. There we are. Now you say you want a driver's license? Yes. Well, I'll have to give you the eye test. How is your vision? Perfect. You passed. <laughs> Here's your license. Nice, thorough examination. Thanks for the license. Uh, now, if you'll just aim me toward the door, I'll be on my way. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, and by the way, if you ever get a chance, drop in and get yourself a pair of glasses, will you? Well, I've been trying to for three years, but I can never find the optometrist's office. <laughs> well, I'll be seeing you. With what? <laughs> How come you gave him a license? Who? That baseball umpire that just left. <laughs> what kind of a night test was that? Now, we have to be strict. We can't have reckless drivers on the streets. <laughs> now, what is it you wanted again? I want to renew my driver's license. All I hey, want is me, you bud, to... Take... I'm, I'm next. I want a driver's license. Oh, yes, sir. How long have you been driving? Two weeks. You got any... <laughs> Got any tickets for traffic violations? About 22. <laughs> you ever been jailed on a traffic charge? Six or seven times. You ever hit a pedestrian? Only when they get my way. <laughs> I like your attitude. Here's your license. Hold it! Now, why did you give him a license? Why shouldn't I? In two weeks, he got 22 tickets. He was in jail seven times, and he hits pedestrians when they get in his way. So he made one little mistake. <laughs> I feel if a man is trying, he should be given another chance. After all, that's a democratic way you do it. Never mind him. Now, how about me? Oh, yeah. What was it you wanted again? <laughs> I just want to renew my driver's license. 
Why didn't you say so? If that's all you want, I won't take any time at all. But what do you know? Twelve o'clock in time for lunch. I'll be back in an hour. Come back here. <laughs> Open that window. All I want is my driver's license. I... <laughs> well, Bill, I'm all ready to... <laughs> what are you laughing at? Oh, I just thought of a joke. That was... Who's laughing? <laughs> they put me through all that red tape, and the guy gave you your license just like that. Oh, that was no license he gave me. That was just an application. I'm doing fine, dear. I just passed my eye test. Oh, that was a tough one. <laughs> I passed my written test, too. And now I'm going out to take my driving test. I got a tip for you. What? If you can hit somebody, it'll help. <laughs> I never saw such a place. I'm having nothing but trouble. Trouble. Oh, cheer up, honey. Don't be a grouch. Stay with the happy people. Huh? That sounds suspiciously like... It is. I... We've got to stay with the happy people To have your fun, live in the land of joy Stay with the happy people Face the sun, life is a Christmas call Down through the endless ages Tears have been contagious And take it from me Happy people, don't you wrinkle your brow, it's wrinkly out of style. Just stay with the people who love to wear a smile. Smile, 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 won't you wear a smile, 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 won't you wear a smile, 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 won't you wear a smile, if you want to stay with the happy people. Have your fun. If you want to stay with the happy people, face the sun, life is a Christmas toy. Down through the endless ages, tears have been contagious, and you can take it from me that misery is looking around for company. So stay, stay, stay with the happy people. Don't you wrinkle your brow, it's strictly out of style. Just stay, stay, stay with the people. Love, love, love all the people who wear a <laughs> well, how are we doing, Cassidy? Wonderful, George. <laughs> Wonderful. You guys really got that Harris character going. <laughs> Hi, Uncle Cassidy. Here are the groceries your wife wants you to bring home. Oh, thanks, Julius. What are you guys laughing at? <laughs> Some wise guy trying to renew his driver's license. We're making it tough for him. I don't think that's a very nice thing to do. Who is the poor fellow you're doing this to? Bill Harris. As I was saying, it's not a very nice thing to do, and how can I? 
I help louse up the big slop? <laughs> well, we're trying to think of some tough tests to give him. Have you got any suggestions? Yeah, let me give him the tests. I'll tell him I'm a new clerk you put on part-time. <laughs> okay. That's Harris banging on my window now. You better open it up, Georgians. Okay. This is going to be a pleasure. Well, it's about time you opened your window. What's on your mind, Mac? <laughs> well, sir, I want to renew my... No, 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 not you. Yeah, 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 it's me. <laughs> what are you doing behind there, you little squirt? I just started working part-time, and if you want a license, you'll have to deal with me. Look, Julius, if you think I'm going to let you Please, get in... Don't aggravate me. I'm a very nasty little quake when I'm upset. All right, let's get on with your test. Now, wait a minute. I'm not going to take any test from you because you won't give me a fair break. Mr. Harris, I assure you my personal feelings will not bias my opinions. Well, well, in that case, all right. Just because I hate your guts don't mean I won't give you a fair test. <laughs> I tell you, I'm not going to... The eye test? Oh, that's a cinch. I know how to answer that one. Go ahead, ask me the question. How's your vision? Perfect. I pass. Give me my license. Stamp, 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 stamp. Give me that. Not so fast. Gotta read the chart on the wall face. Cover your left eye and read the top line. Okay. A. M. L. P. Now cover your right eye and read the second line. P R S B. Now cover both eyes and read the third line. <laughs> if it's all right with you, can I feel the letters a little? I'll be lenient. I'll let you read it with one eye open. Oh, I'd hate to cheat like that. Go ahead, read the third line. Q F X. W Z. Now pronounce it. <laughs> well, stop stalling, Mac. Pronounce it. Father. Bobol. Whomps. Why? You can't read English. <laughs> if there are things you on the road, if you came across a word like that on a road sign, you wouldn't know what it meant. Well, where will I ever come across a sign like that? It don't mean nothing. That's what you think. In Czechoslovakia, it means no you thing. <laughs> How do you like that? I've been driving for 20 years, and I didn't know that in Czechoslovakia, you're not allowed to make a quamps. <laughs> I'm not going to take any more of this from you. This is the most outrageous thing that I've ever okay, heard of. I'm not going to... Okay, I'll take over now. I think we got about as far as we can. With You're darn right you have, because I'm a citizen and I demand my rights. Very well. Very funny. Yeah. Now, what was it you wanted again? <laughs> oh, oh, yes, I remember. You wanted to renew your driver's license. Now we're getting someplace. Well, just fill out this application and in no time at all we'll have... Well, the five o'clock whistle. Time to go home. Good night. Wait. Open that window. 
I want my license. Now, Phil, look. I passed all the tests and got my driver's license. How did you do? I didn't get one. Come on, let's go home. I've been framed. They wouldn't give me my license. Well, one consolation. Now that you can't drive, you can't get any more tickets. Oh, there's the car across the street. Well, wait here and I'll get Frankie to drive it over. Don't tell me how to cross the street. I've been crossing them for 35 years. Hey, Harris. Oh, it's you, Cassidy. I got something for you. My driver's license? No, a ticket for jaywalk. No. No. Good health to all from Rexall. Folks, this is Phil Harris again, and as you may know, the present time I'm crossing the country with a big two-hour stage show, including my chief stooge, Jackson Benny. Then we have Rochester, gorgeous film star Vivian Blaine, my whole band, and many other wonderful extra acts, all in person. Tonight we play Milwaukee. Tomorrow, Monday, we play Peoria. This Tuesday, we'll be in St. Louis. This Wednesday, Indianapolis. Thursday, Grand Rapids. Friday in Detroit. Saturday, Toledo. And next Sunday, in Cleveland. It's a great show, and I hope you'll ask for your tickets early, because they're going fast. Join us on the air again next Sunday. Thanks, and good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. This program was produced and transcribed by Paul Phillips. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.